Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The domestic seasons have wrapped up in Europe, but soccer fans looking for their fix are spoiled for choice on Wednesday with two massive games taking place on British soil. Scotland will scrap it out with Ukraine at Hamden for the right to scrap it out with Wales for UEFA's final World World Cup berth, while Italy and Argentina face off at Wembley with an intercontinental trophy on the line. I'm joined by Jonathan Johnson and James Bench to break it all down. Kigo Lasso begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kegolasso. Kegolasso pod on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Kegolasso. We're getting closer to 12,000 subscribers. Thank you so much for the support. I'm joined by two fine gentlemen who have been working very, very hard uh, as always, but specifically right now as we, you know, uh, give you some updates regarding all the information that's going on around the world. Before we begin into our Scotland, Ukraine and uh, UEFA playoffs, La Finalissima as well. Uh, we want to just give you a little bit of an update of what happened, you know, since uh, the horrific scenes that we saw in the Champions League final outside of Stade de France as well. A game may have been happening during that time, but a lot of chaos ensued before, during and after as well, of course. So, James Bench, uh, welcome, buddy. Give us uh, the latest uh, information as uh, more and more things are uh, trickling down uh, on my Twitter feed. What's going on? Yeah, so as we speak, this is uh, Tuesday morning, Eastern time. Uh, UEFA have launched what they inevitably had to do uh, and launched an independent investigation into the events outside the Stade de France on Saturday night. I'm sure JJ will be able to update us on the the Parisian side of things. And, you know, it really is something that's dividing uh, conversations and dividing debate here in the UK as well. An awful lot of very angry politicians and angry supporters as well, furious at the way that Liverpool fans were treated. Um, you know, I saw this firsthand. I remember sat next to Jonathan uh, at the Stade de France about 45 minutes before kickoff uh, and thought, okay, there's something going on. You see some stuff on Twitter, pop down, and I have to say nothing prepared me for what I saw outside. Um, it had been difficult getting in at the time, but th- this was absolute um, chaos. Supporters that had you know, had bought their tickets, were showing you their tickets. And by all accounts, they look pretty valid to me. Um, we, we were hemmed up. We're not being allowed in. Um, everywhere you went, there were gendarmes in riot gear running left and right. It was a very scary uh, atmosphere, I have to say, to be honest. Nothing compared to what it was like after as well, I should say. Um, you know, pepper spray, tear gas. I think there was a moment for me where I sort of said, why am I cough, cough, coughing and crying? And you realize that some of the tear gas has, has blown you away. Um, it was an absolute mess uh, that was followed, I thought. And I, I don't know how familiar this is to, to JJ, but it was followed by quite what I found quite scary. Uh, journey back home, I walked to Saint-Denis Metro Station, which is where I hadn't gone before, but the way that police were letting us out kind of forced me that way and um, just after i'd done an hq hit at about half past midnight um and you suddenly became aware because people were sh- shouting that there were uh, people getting mugged and uh, people being intimidated um real absence of police presence absence of any signs i suddenly found myself walking into the metro station i had no idea it was anywhere at all um but that that's the sort of experience for the night what we will sort of see from here on out, I think is is a game of political point scoring, um, at least until we get this uh, full and independent review. And I think there'll be a lot of questions for UEFA and, and the French police to answer. Yeah, and there seems to be a, a failure to, to recognise at this moment in time from the French government of sort of any wrongdoing, which is truly stunning, to be honest. Uh, I, I won't say, uh, you know, that it's it's completely a surprise that they would back their own, but to the degree that they have so far with some of the numbers that have been thrown around is, yeah, it's really jaw dropping uh, and very disappointing. I mean, as James, uh, you know, painted the picture really well uh, with the, the mayhem on Saturday, I mean, going back to my experience of it, it was slightly different. 
I mean, we both tried to arrive, you know, about three, three hours. hours ahead of kickoff, uh, which, you know, we managed to do successfully. Uh, I was actually entering into the stadium around about the time that a big amount of Real Madrid fans did. But it was, you know, it, it sticks in the memory. Uh, and looking back on it now, I do remember there were, uh, you know, a lot of police dressed up in riot gear. Uh, you know, and when you think back to it a bit more, it's almost kind of like they prepared for the wrong kind of match. They were almost prepared for a clash where they expected there to be a lot of, you know, violence, uh, you know, two sets of fans going at each other. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, one of the many problems, uh, you know, that, that created the awful and chaotic scenes uh, is that they misread, uh, you know, the the two sets of fans. There was an assumption that Liverpool fans yes. would prove troublesome. Uh, you know, and I think they perhaps expected that it would be different, uh, you know, for, from the Real Madrid fans as well. I'd I mean, I, I think they must have expected some of the locals to to try and get in because when you look at the video evidence, you you cannot refute, uh, you know, that some of the the guys vaulting the fence going in, not even you know flashing a ticket because they don't have one. Uh, you know, they knew the situation very well and they were almost preparing, uh, you know, to make the most of it, like the pickpockets, uh, you know, because when you've got the the fans funneled in, uh, you know in such a limited space uh you know it's it's obvious that that sort of thing is going to happen unfortunately it's not uncommon uh in paris but uh you know i think you know a, a massively chaotic uh organization or lack of organization uh you know it's a it's a huge disappointment it puts major pressure on now uh not only in terms of future events should they be permitted to have any anytime soon uh you know but the olympics is coming up uh you've got the rugby world cup as well so it's big sporting events uh, on the horizon and this doesn't look good for, for for the french government and for the french police and let's not forget you know emmanuel macron played a big role uh, in getting that match moved uh, once uh, st petersburg was no longer going to be considered uh, to be the venue of the final uh, you know and for that sort of disaster to go down on home soil there there has to be some accountability so we will see if the line from the French government and the, the Parisian police changes over the next uh, week or so, I'm not convinced it will massively, but there has to be some recognition of fault. You know, it's it split over, over many different parties, but the, I think the one party that the French government are trying to point fingers at, uh, you know, cannot really be faulted. I thought the Liverpool fans' behaviour in extreme circumstances were was exemplary. Uh, and, you know, it's just hugely disappointing that this has gone down, uh, you know, kind of, in my backyard, so to speak. I've been to so many uh, football matches at Stade de France over the years. I was there the night of the Paris attacks. I've never seen the kind of chaos that we saw uh, on Saturday just gone uh, in, in you know, 10 years or so of, of covering football matches there. It was hugely disappointing, uh, you know, and I think that it also points to a big, big problem in French football, as I wrote on the, the site a day or so ago, uh, you know, that that French football is trying to, to deal with. Yes, we've seen all the fan problems, uh, uh, you know, and some of the... the I'd like to add very briefly before we talk about what's to come uh, in European football. Uh, JJ is is spot on in, in, in addressing Liverpool fans here. And you, I wish that some of the police that had been at the ground had been, you know, wandering around Paris like so many of us were that morning. One of the most wonderful atmospheres, Real Madrid and Liverpool fans intermingling. The sun was shining, the beers were flowing. Um, sadly, not for me and JJ, but we can but dream. Um, and it was it was a fantastic atmosphere. And no one, I didn't see any trouble at all. And you didn't hear about any the night before as well, it should be said. And Liverpool fans in particular really understand what can happen in these situations. And we had to be very careful talking about this on the site. Every and I, you know, I was there doing Vox Pops with Liverpool supporters. All of them said, all of them said, this could have been another Hillsborough. Um, and obviously, that you know, that is a really loaded term for Liverpool fans to use. And the one final thing to show that they were treated different if you go and watch the video at the final whistle, the Liverpool fans who are waiting for it to be confirmed that their team has lost, their end is the one where there are police every few inches in case of a pitch invasion or anything like that. What are they going to invade the pitch about? The Real Madrid fans at the other end nothing there's no police presence there you know they were they were treated very differently and they were treated in a way that showed a basic lack of you know people say they're treated like animals you don't treat animals the way that people treat liverpool fans that's animal cruelty um it was disgraceful scenes and um i think it spoiled a wonderful day i didn't particularly enjoy the final and all those things because of it and i know i'm not alone and a lot of liverpool fans would share that 
yeah, very dispiriting to be talking about this still. Well, uh, dispiriting, but important nonetheless. I'm just ha happy that you both are safe. And, and obviously, you can't really say the same thing uh, on everybody. But uh, we hope that every fan, uh, families, children, everybody, uh, you know, hopefully they, they got out uh, essentially. And thank you so much for your reporting and your great updates on this. Uh, this obviously will not go away. A lot of uh, answers, a lot of questions need to be answered, of course, uh, from UEFA, the French ministry, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll be keeping you up to date. And James Mace, Jonathan Johnson, on top of everything, thank you so much. And once again, I'm just glad that you guys are safe. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, obviously, uh, this game doesn't stop. World Cup playoffs uh, continue, of course, uh, specifically focusing on the European side of things as Scotland face Ukraine. And uh, I'm sorry, everybody, but we kind of have to keep going with this sort of uh, somber tone because this game, obviously, on the pitch, tactically, we'll talk about. Very important. Uh, Ukraine is no stranger to the World Cup, actually, and Scotland uh, less so, of course, but they're both fighting for a spot as well as they continue this. But, it, you know, we need to add context to this. Ukraine uh, find themselves in a situation Uh, that's bigger than football, that's bigger than the game since Russia's invasion of the country. And as a result, a lot has had to come into place regarding the team and their preparations for this game. And it's important to remember that since the Russian invasion, Ukraine had to put a, you know, first of all, the domestic competition in the country obviously had to stop mid-April. Uh, that was a fight, you know, a battle between uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and Dynamo Kiev, obviously the top, historically the most successful teams in that competition, but there will be no you know, coronation of a win or anything that, everything had to stop. Uh, players had to leave the country, of course. And since uh, the start of May, uh, the national team put a 21-man squad together, which has been training uh, together in Slovenia. Uh, other players, uh, you know, your Sinchenkos, your Malenkos, of course, others, Europe-based Ukrainians have still been playing their trade till the end of the season. But little step-by-step, uh, -step, they've been trying to come together, setting base in Slovenia. They've been playing friendlies. I believe they beat Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, last week to one as well. So the preparations have been happening for this game, but it's important to begin with that. Jonathan Johnson, just making sure that everybody knows that this isn't a normal situation. Things are bigger than football and, and the, you know, Ukraine is dealing with so much and just the fact that they're getting ready to play this game is commendable in the first place. Uh, I, I think uh, as well, give me your thoughts on that just before we get into the, the actual preview. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you cannot underestimate the importance for Ukraine as a country that they're able to put together a national team given the dire circumstances, uh, you know, and can actually, you know, compete, uh, you know, for a place at the World Cup. Uh, you know, I know uh, that there will be a lot of neutrals, uh, you know, sort of hoping that they will they will manage to make it. Uh, and, you know, it, it must have been uh, an extremely difficult, challenging, testing uh, situation to be in, trying to, you know, trying to get that group of players together, trying to get them to focus uh, on football, given everything that's uh, that, that's going on back home. Uh, you know, it's nice that it hasn't slipped off of, uh, you know, sort of the public consciousness and the radar either. Yeah, we had uh, Jurgen Klopp talking ahead of the Champions League final um, about basically how, you know, crap it is the the situation that's happened with Russia invading Ukraine because the final was supposed to be played in St Petersburg and I think you know for for Ukraine now this the, the, this will be a huge statement doesn't matter about the result it, you know it just matters you know getting the players out there on the pitch uh you know and reminding everybody that they are still standing as a nation and it's uh You know, I imagine it's going to be full of emotion, uh, even more emotional if they, they manage to make it through the first game and get to the get to the final. But, you know, the fact that they're even getting there uh, and, and will be taking to the pitch at Hamden Park uh, is is already a massive win, I think. Yeah, I can only echo everything everyone is is saying there as well. Um, you know, I remember I mean, this this might sound like a sort of strange example, but I mean, you, you kind of if anyone was watching Eurovision, uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, a few months ago as well, just the seeing Ukraine being part of these things that the rest of us in Europe take for granted, that the rest of us, you know, it, it's just an annual thing. You can tell how much it means to still feel like a part of Europe, to feel like they aren't closed off, that doors are still open to them, that as much as possible, given the situation involving, uh, you know, involving that country, that they can still have ways of partaking. Um, 
I think that's really impressive and really powerful. And equally, it means they could do something of a treble if things go right for them in that they could beat the entirety of Great Britain in the Eurovision Song Contest. We're still not bitter about that. You know, I mean, if we could lose to anyone, it's kind of like a win for us, really, because we're never going to beat Ukraine on a public vote. Um, and then go and beat Scotland and Wales to reach the World Cup. So it would be something really special. I think the only other thing to say about Ukraine is just how good the footballers are. Yeah. Not just, you know, the names we all know. Andriy Yarmolenko, who, who was wonderful um, for West Ham late in the season. Zinchenko, fabulous footballer you'll know players like these but one i would say keep your eye out on um and we don't know how fresh he will be but he's such a young talent is Ilya zabani the 19 year old defender from dinamo kiev this kid is has got a lot and i know that before everything this was a player that scouts from across europe were flying out to kiev to watch so t- huge huge talent there and i know we'll come to talk about how good scotland are but um, this is really good footballers with something more than football to play for. So they're going to be a powerful force on the pitch. Yep, should be a very good game indeed. And as you saw right there, if you're watching on YouTube, the winner uh, joins obviously that group, England and uh, USO. A lot of eyes on this one as well. Well, the winner of this game plays Wales. And then, of course, uh, we'll see what happens there. We've talked uh, about Ukraine, some star players there that you just mentioned, James Mencher. But let's focus on Scotland now. Because, you know, they got their own journey, of course. And, uh, you know, eight games unbeaten, James Bench. This is a very strong, resilient Scottish team. A lot of talented players that we know, of course. But uh, a little bit more on the lowdown as they get ready for this big game at home. Yeah. I mean, like you, you say, Luis, they are just a team riven with quality. And that has happened quite, it, it almost, it feels quite suddenly. But again, you, you look down the list of players in this squad and, and players that are likely to start. You know, Andrew Robertson, the captain, he's gone from a Premier League title deciding game straight into European Champ- uh, European Cup final and now on to uh, World Cup qualifiers. It could be five. And I think the game before the Premier League was the FA Cup final as well. So someone give this guy a preseason friendly to play in. But equally, you know... John McGinn, I, I may as well mention him before you guys do, Billy Gilmore. Some of the talent here is is real high-grade younger players as well. I mean, Che Adams, I think, is is excellent whenever I see him in a Southampton shirt. It's good players. They're a team that's tough to break down. We saw that at the Euros as well, even if things didn't go to, to plan and they didn't manage to escape the group, that they're hard to score against, that they're well-drilled, well-organised, such quality at fullback as well. And that Hamden Raw, you know, it, it took them really, really far. It helped them win in their Euros playoffs as well. Um, and as much as, you know, everyone across Europe will want success for uh, for Ukraine, that Scottish crowd will be very, very much making it a, a passionate place and a big, you know, there'll be a big boost for Scotland in when it comes to the game itself. Yeah, just adding on what James was saying, I mean, it still feels like Scotland are kind of riding the crest of that wave of optimism that followed, uh, you know, after they made it to the Euros. And now the possibility of getting back to a World Cup as well, something, you know, that they haven't been at now for, what, decades is, uh, you know, that that is huge and you can't underestimate that. Fingers crossed that, you know, it's nothing but a 100% positive atmosphere, as it certainly sounds like it's shaping up to be. Uh, at Hampden Park, uh, you know, and I think we we could be in for a real feast of uh, football. I mean, I think Scotland have a bit of an advantage in that, uh, you know, their players are, you know, coming off of, uh, you know, uh, pretty much all of the players are coming off of a, a, a season of, of domestic action in Europe, whereas some of the Ukrainian players, you know, have been sort of disturbed by the situation and the fact that their team couldn't suddenly play and then have been kind of thrown into these, I mean, the friendlies, it, it's good to, to get them out there to, you know, to, to get some match practice in their legs. It's not the it's same not the level, same, though, as a, as a domestic same. league game. So, uh, you know, I think there will be an advantage for, for Scotland there. But I do still think that it is, you know, going to be two very closely matched squads. Like James said, there's plenty of quality uh, in that Ukrainian group as well. Uh, you know, we we hear Mudrik uh, being linked with uh, moves to a, a host of European clubs, some in the Bundesliga. Uh, you know, and I think that this is, it, it, it's almost too close to call this one. Yeah, almost too close to call. Uh, let's focus a little bit on some matchups here and then we'll get into the predictions. Uh, James, you mentioned uh, Ilya Sabarni, a uh, 19-year-old star there. Is there anywhere else on the pitch that you're looking at, perhaps on the Scottish side as well? Where are you focusing on here in this game? 
Oh, that's a good question that you have literally thrown at me, Luis, and uh, I probably <laughs> should have seen coming. However, I mean, you know, one of the things that, that Scotland do, to my mind, really well um, is, is is how well they defend as a collective unit. We saw this yeah. when they beat Denmark, that they are, that they collapse. And one of the things we maybe don't appreciate with Ukraine is how technical and creative they can be across that front line. I don't think they have, you know, <clears throat> Yuremchuk is a good striker, but I think you kind of need to create a lot of chances for him. So for me, the question will be, how does that midfield, which I think may well dominate the ball more than you expect, you know, whether it's Yarmolenko, Zinchenko, Malinovsky as well, really technical players. Can they can they just craft their way through this uh, through this Scottish team? Um, that's what I, and I would assume we will look at kind of more of a counter-attacking Scotland, whether it's someone like Lyndon Dykes holding the ball up and Che Adams running off him, um, which is quite strange given that Scotland are the home team. <coughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think the, it, it, rather than a individual matchups, I think for me, that's the, the collective thing that interests me, yeah. but picking an individual, I wonder if that those Che Adams runs in behind and McGinn, McGinn and McTominay, they're, they're, the McGinn in particular, his dynamism in possession. Can that push Scotland up the pitch and get them into positions where they can control? And I'm just going to go and do a massive cough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think James is right to, 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 to point out, you know, Yeremchuk's sort of strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you know, he is definitely sort of your, your typical kind of battering ram forward where you expect that, bat, that, that, it, you know, it's going to get quite physical between him and the him and the Scottish defence. But then again, is he actually going to start? I mean, so much has changed with this this Ukrainian side since we saw them at the Euros, and obviously they had, they had a penchant at that time for you know scoring howitzers, uh, you know, and then sadly fell short uh, against England, and then Shevchenko left. So you know, it's not just the the, the, the situation with Russia's invasion that that has changed for them. It's the they changed coach as well, uh, you know, and they will now have to find a, a, a new style of play. The one thing that I would say about them under Shevchenko was when I saw them uh, at Stade de France against against France, they didn't create that much, but, uh, you know, they were very, very stout, very resolute uh, at the back, very, very well organized and well drilled, um, you know, and if they have managed to maintain that, given everything that's happened, uh, you know, then I think that, that Scotland could run into run into some problems. Uh, and that could also be a way for them to sort of negate the, the impact of maybe a lack of competitive match practice for, for some of those players. Uh, you know, and if they can make themselves as tough to break down as they were uh, at the Euros, then, then I certainly think that they stand a chance. But for me, I think it's the biggest battle uh, is going to be, you know, for, for Ukraine to keep Scotland out uh, and keep themselves in the game, certainly sort of in that in that first half. And then if they can utilize someone like Yeremchuk's uh, physicality in the, the second half, then, you know, they could, I can certainly see them scoring at least once. Well, this is a massive game with not just uh, footballing, uh, you know, expectations, but with the emotional mountain that that comes with it due to what's going on with Ukraine. But as James noted, this is a job that Scotland want to do at home as well. So I'm sure the 12th man will be right there. So quickly, predictions then. What do you expect here? Who will be facing Wales in this game? Jonathan Johnson, let's go you first. Scotland, Ukraine, what do you think? I'm going to go 2-1 Scotland. Wouldn't surprise me if it finished uh, level after 90 minutes, but I'm going to go for the Scottish, you know, just uh, just by a slight fraction. The heart wants what it wants. And I just, I think that, I, I think Ukraine are going to do this. And I think they'll do it against Wales as well. So I'm going to go 1-0 Ukraine. That's, uh, I mean, amazing. That I, I mean, Honestly, it, it shouldn't happen, should it? But, you know, it, yeah, I've spent ages you. saying that Real Madrid shouldn't happen and it keeps right. happening. The emotional, you know, battles with the, uh, you know, logical, I guess. I, I think uh, you will see very emotional scenes at the beginning of this game, no doubt. Uh, you know, I think the entire stadium will realize what's going on and everything. And, you know, and I'm just reading all these things like 150 misplaced children from Ukraine visiting the Ukrainian squad last week and watching them train. It's just, it's just very hot. You, you have to be a robot not to want to see Ukraine make it all the way to the World Cup, of course, unless you're a Scottish fan. It's going to be tough, but I'm with you, Jonathan Johnson. I think that once the game gets going and you get the support from the stadium, I think it's a 2-1 victory for Scotland, but I, you know, this Ukrainian, it, it's more about Ukrainian side not really getting 
enough uh, competitive matches uh, getting ready for this one. But we'll have to see what happens. But we have James Bench thinking Ukraine goes two here with Scotland. We'll see what happens there. These teams meet again in September in the Nations League and League B Group B1. By the way, more UEFA Nations League talk after the break, as well as a look ahead to Wednesday's finalissima between the champions of Europe, Italy, and the champions of South America, Argentina. We're going to take a break here. Jonathan Johnson, James Bench, LME. We'll be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey everybody, welcome back. Kegolasso uh, here with Jonathan Johnson and James Bench. Uh, quickly, obviously, Wales is waiting for the winner of uh, this game, but they got a, a Nations League game in themselves uh, facing Poland, Poland against Wales as well. So, Bench, uh, what shape are the Dragons in heading into this one? Uh, how are they looking uh, as they face Poland? Gareth Bale's fit. What more do you need? Um, well, and I suppose that's the, and, and Aaron Ramsey as well. Um, I suppose that's kind of the priority for Wales is to is to just tune things up, not to change too greatly. And you know, considering where they were a few months ago, I think one of the advantages they have is is a settled side, a settled system, settled coaches as well. Obviously, you know, I don't want to dive too deep into Ryan Giggs's um off-field issues, but you know, Rob Page has done a really good job leading them so this is going to be about tuning up maybe adjusting your your tactical and it's strange because nations league matters i know we're going to come on to talk about a bit more about how much but there are points and prizes to be won um but really it, it's nothing compared to the prospect of of getting to that first world cup so i think you'll see rob page i mean he'll use his strongest 11 but you know all eyes will be on on, on the fine the, the what do you call it? The final qualifier, qualifier, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think one other thing about this Welsh national team that I like was they'd built up so much momentum sort of round about the time that they had those great runs under Chris Coleman, Euro 2016, for example. And you could see that there was that chemistry within that core group of players. And they've managed to sort of get back to that in, in recent years. Uh, and, you know, now, uh, you know, Paige is getting the best out of them or what was, what was left of that group because some of the players, uh, you know, ultimately moved on. Uh, and I think that with that momentum, you know, perhaps the the, the sort of logical crowning moment for, for this Welsh generation might be reaching uh, that first World Cup. It, feel, it feels like it's something that probably should have been within their reach uh, before now, but, uh, you know, better late than never, I guess. Is there, uh, you know, um, a worry from the Polish side about Lewandowski's current state of mind, about where he's going? Are you worried about that at all, uh, Jonathan? Uh, you know, Lewandowski's saying, you know, I'm done with Bayern Munich. Uh, does that weigh on his mind, do you think? Uh, will it be a noise, basically, within the Polish uh, base? 
Well, it's a bold strategy, Cotton, to get yourself out of the uh, the German champions. And I'm, I'm keen to see how it plays out for him. But, uh, no money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I was surprised by, uh, you know, him taking Bayern on quite publicly like that. Um, but, you know, the, the whispers have been there for a while. And, you know, what we've seen on the pitch from them, uh, you know, since that Champions League success in 2020 doesn't lie. I, I think this Bayern side is in need of regeneration. And if it wasn't Lewandowski, it would have been Muller or would it, it would have been Neuer. I'm, honestly, I'm surprised that Bayern is sticking with Neuer and Muller over, uh, you, you know, Lewandowski. But then again, you know, given that Thomas Muller is Mr. Bayern Munich, I guess maybe I'm not as that surprised. But uh, no, I mean, Lewandowski, I mean, He's always going to be Poland's main danger man. Uh, and they are a tricky side to come up against. There is some, you know, the quality elsewhere as well. Obviously, uh, you know, us Villa fans, uh, James already touched on McGinn. Uh, you've got Matty Cash in there as well, who's done very well for, for Poland since uh, switching allegiances. But, um, you know, I think, you know, they're, they're reasonably, uh, you know, well-matched sides. And I, I mean, like... Like James said, we're going to come on to the debate about how much the Nations League matters. I'm not sure it's going to be the end of the world for for Poland, but you know they will be they will give Wales a, a good test before that uh, final World Cup qualifier. Yeah, just on Lewandowski, I mean, I'm intrigued that there's the desire is to go to Barcelona. I mean, I know that obviously, and I'm I'm sure this will be the case that it has that particular mystique they and Real Madrid have that that anyone would want to play for them, but. You know, this is something of a of a basket case of a club right now. You know, we're we're hearing as we record, we're hearing talk about them needing to sell Frankie De Jong and and sell pretty much anyone decent that that other teams would want, um, and filling up their squad with free transfers, all to potentially pursue a La Liga title. That, that look, admittedly, you know, of course, the convers- the the competition is greater than in what is something of a one team Bundesliga at the moment. But it is hardly um, it, it, it's hardly a hugely competitive landscape where the where he can change the conversation about him. That is almost me saying he he'd be, I'd be intrigued what happened if he went to the Premier League. But yeah, it's so strange just seeing him burn his bridges. I know there was a degree of debate about whether he called him a serious club or an unserious club. I don't think it was Tosin that was advising him, so I think it was the the, <laughs> the former. But um, it's strange to leave in this way. Yeah, that to me is my thing. Like, yeah. it's a bit weird. Like, you've had such a he amazing a weird, relationship and the influence that you've had, and it's very strange the way. So, uh, surely behind closed doors, there's been a lot of uh, drama, I guess, uh, a lot of uh, back and forth that hasn't been necessarily, you know, productive for either Lewandowski or Bayern Munich. But, you know, we'll have to see what happens there. But anyway, back to this game, Poland Wells, we'll see what happens. But yeah, let's get to this. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, by the way, was asked about the Nations League and he said, the Nations League is unimportant in my eyes. Just glorified friendlies after a long and tough season. I am not looking forward to it. So it's probably not a good time to tell you that there's a lot of Nations League games coming up. Belgium, Netherlands, Spain, Portugal, France, Denmark, Croatia, Austria. Thoughts on uh, De Bruyne's comments there, James Bench? Uh, What do you think? Well, he's right. That's the whole point of the Nations League. The Nations League was, let's stop playing these friendlies and let's glorify them. So congratulations, Kevin De Bruyne. They it's are worked, indeed. Though, hasn't it? It's well, no, I agree. In the it moment, is- looking for a trophy, you've had you've seen some pretty good competitive games. But that's what they and- are, to your point. I mean, he meant it as an insult, but that's it's what it is. Right, it, might, it? it might be the only silverware carrying Benzema has mm-hmm. in his France career. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> You know, and the golden generation of Belgium would not be kicking this out of, you know, wouldn't be kicking this out of bed at this stage if they'd ever won one. Yeah, it is, it. <laughs> it is, you know, it, of course it's not the World Cup and it's not the Euros. And I, I think the challenge it's had is that COVID has just absolutely massacred, um, you know, its, its schedule because UEFA have to always bump it down. There's a World Cup to, and, you know, Euros qualifying have to take precedent. But it's still an awful, you know, I remember the days when, you know, the big European teams would, if they did play each other in a friendly, it would be two separate 11s, mass changes at halftime, and you, you gleaned nothing from it, at least at this, you know, seven out of 10 FA Cup third round, you know, Premier League giant playing in the FA Cup third round level of intensity. You are at least getting something out of it. You will learn something. And I wish they didn't have to play four, friend, four Nations League games in one round. But Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I just sometimes you just need perception because, OK, to a Belgium and an England, maybe not. But there's other countries that take into consideration how important this can be. It. Yeah, it's but big. And they can learn it. and test themselves. You've seen the sort of the the boat, the rising tide of European football has lifted a lot of boats of, of com- countries that have been playing exactly what the big teams have always said they should just be doing, which is playing these competitive games. A team like um, Armenia, I feel, yeah. have improved quite a lot. And I, I suspect if you asked Armenians, they would say the Nations League has helped a lot in that regard because they aren't getting tonked week in, week out by 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 bigger nations. They're improving and yeah. it, it is helping. It's not, this, this is not a great moment for Nations League football at the end of such a draining season, but it's much, much better than what we had. I agree. I mean, Did Deschamps agrees, Jonathan Johnson, or this friend? What does he think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, some something else to bear in mind. I think for for Deschamps, for for everybody else. I mean, it's it's a new tournament as well. It's still kind of in its infancy, uh, you know, and it's going to take a while for it to become sort of part of the furniture, uh, you know, compared to other international tournaments like the Euros, like the World Cup. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I totally agree with James. Uh, you know, a lot of the the international friendlies that we were seeing before the Nations League came into being were totally pointless. You know, some certain teams with uh, sponsored tours where they just go around, uh, you know, mess around on the pitch for a while. You know, you don't really glean anything from that. Uh, you know, but they do, uh, you know, certain federations just turned it into a, a money-making exercise. And I think... Uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, there is a certain meritocracy to it as well, given that the teams can change, uh, you know, sort of moving up and down, uh, depending on their performances as well. I think, you know, it is something that that will grow in importance and its importance will be seen sort of in maybe 10 years time or after the first 10 years of the of the competition. Because like James said, there are smaller nations who are using it to, to further themselves, uh, you know, and I think although it might seem like a bit of a chore for some of the bigger teams, you know, there are coaches who could approach this more intelligently and perhaps experiment more with their with their teams. And I think that's perhaps where the situation with Deschamps is a bit frustrating because Deschamps is one of those coaches who everything he does is dictated by loyalty to the players. So it's always going to be the same group of players, which is madness. Madness when you have as much talent as France do, uh, you know, and players that, that could be experimented with given a chance. Uh, you know, who might ultimately end up going uh, and declaring their international allegiance elsewhere because Deschamps won't, uh, you know, move away from the the tried and tested formula that, that won him the World Cup in 2018. Uh, and he's hoping we'll, we'll win him another World Cup later this year. All right. We will see how that develops. But as I mentioned, a few uh, national, I'm sorry, a Nations League matches all over as well. Uh, Wednesday and the rest of the week is packed with action. So we don't stop here. All right. Let's keep going here. Before we get into final thoughts, there is another game uh, at Wembley, actually. Should be a cracking game. Uh, I mean, hopefully it is. I don't know. These two teams are very proud. Fan base is very good. You got the champions of Europe, Italy, who are not going to the World Cup, sad to say for Italian fans, but they are the defending champions of Europe right now against the champions of South America, Argentina. A lot of great narratives here. Lionel Messi, of course, uh, uh, Chiellini saying goodbye, I guess, to the Asuri as well. Will be the farewell tour there. Should be a fantastic game. The trophy's pretty, pretty tasty, by the way. And because of this match, everybody, we thought we'd have some fun and do a combined starting 11 of Italy and Argentina. Once again, we are doing this so you can all yell at us on social media and YouTube. And once again, we're doing this to just, uh, by the way, this was very difficult to do. And number two, if there's one thing that you don't want to do and get angry for fan bases, it's these two teams. I don't want to listen to Argentinians <laughs> and Italians yell at me, and but we've had to do it. So we all, we've all made our starting 11s. And remember, this is our personal choice, okay? So just calm down. I, I, I'm expecting that I'm going to go nuts at Jonathan Johnson. Des Norris was warning me about his lineup. I can't wait to see what it is. But James Bench, uh, by the way, uh, you start, and by the way, it's an all-time starting eleven. They can pick from any decade. Uh, this is not just uh, the current players. This is an all-time Italy-Argentina starting eleven all-time. James Bench, take it away. Although it has to be said, it's hard to pick players you've never seen play football before. Right. So that kind of is what I would want to say with my team, which is predominantly kind of 1990s onwards although there are certain players of a level of greatness that you just know to pick them hence i have alfredo di stefano 
leading the line. Um, the hardest ones for me to pick, I think, were the three. I, I really wanted Batistuta as well. And then I remembered Alfredo Di Stefano. Um, <laughs> the, the three off the, the, the central striker. I mean, two of them picked themselves. Two of, I would say, the greatest players ever, Maradona, Messi. Um, and then Roberto Baccias, just the divine ponytail, is the perfect nickname for <laughs> a player that invariably lit up the game. Um I kind of was thinking with that front four, I'm going to need one, someone to get the ball to them and then someone to actually win the ball back as good as my defence behind it is. I struggled a little bit. I don't know with sort of not very you know, agricultural, robust midfielders and picked Diego Simeone because he was the only one I could think of that I thought <laughs> had been great. I was equally a bit reluctant to pick Andrea Pirlo. Yeah, obviously. Really? Fantastic football. No, you you were right there. I like the but formation too. What is this? A four-two-three-one? Yeah, it's a four-two-three-one. I'm bored of the sort of, or I got very bored towards the end of his career of the sort of, especially in England, the cult of Andrea Pirlo. If phenomenal player, but it, it it was just like English football had never seen a a passing midfielder before. Um, back four picks itself. The back the back line picks itself. Man, Maldini, Baresi, Cannavaro. I wanted to fit Nesta in this team. Um, Javier Zanetti uh, and and Gigi Buffon. And there's some absolute all-time greats that I've like left it. off that team. Like None of them are Argentinian goalkeepers. Yeah, it's very difficult. Well, Goicochea, I have an emotional connection to it growing up watching him play. But yeah, you weren't, you weren't a Carlos Roa fan, James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if was, if anybody, Jonathan, Jonathan, I'm ready for you. Show me what you picked. All right, so here we go. I mean, there there are a number of shared uh, players with uh, with with James Benj's eleven. Uh, I'm delighted to say I that I so. didn't I didn't omit Gabriel Batistuta, but mm-hmm. I have made some surprise omissions. Now, bear in mind that what? I grew I grew up watching a lot of Serie A when I was younger. So there's a lot of Argentines who have played their trade in Italy as well. Now, I think Buffon probably picks himself for pretty much all of us. Uh, Maldini, Zanetti. And I wanted to try and balance it out a bit, try and get as many Argentines or almost as many Argentines as I had Italians, which is why I went for Walter Salmon instead. Nesta could have easily uh, made the cuts. I was tempted by Chiellini given the the emotional uh, attachment to this game. But uh, I'm going for some of the players who I grew up loving watching as well. You don't have Messi in here. (laughs) Yeah, oh, no, I don't Maradona. have Messi. You don't have Maradona yeah, but, in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I no, I I should qualify it as well by saying that I didn't want to go for someone who I didn't sort of grow up watching a lot of. Messi. So obviously, I, I, no, <laughs> Mar, Mar, Maradona. So Maradona, sort of, you know, because his career was tailing off just as I was growing yeah. up and, and getting into football. We, but no, Messi, I mean, I was honestly... We need to send to the PSG press office and see how <laughs> you next season. And I don't think, I don't know if you know, I, I don't know how fast Cambiaso is, but you're putting him as a right <laughs> No, no, why? It, I'm, not, I'm not responsible for the entire layout. Okay, it's a diamond, it's a diamond it probably, shape. Probably would, have, probably would have had uh, Totti at the top of, uh, oh my God. ahead of the you three. You don't have why? Messi no, or Maradona in here. <laughs> No, but honestly, I mean, Messi's a phenomenal player. It's just, you know, emotional attachment to some of these players. Grew okay. up almost idolizing Del Piero. Had to fit him in there somewhere. Yeah. Batistuta, uh, you know, one of the greatest goal scorers Serie A has ever seen. Totti, yeah. massive respect for him for being, uh, you know, a one-club man uh, and also just a phenomenal player. Uh, and I tried to, you know, maybe shine some light on some of the other maybe slightly more underappreciated players. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's not like I don't think Messi is an absolutely phenomenal player and arguably, uh, you know, the best that we've ever seen. It's just, yeah, I wanted to go with one that was slightly different uh, to all the others out there. Uh, no, obviously, the I'm going to obviously I'm going to I'm going to face plenty of questions about my mental well-being, but it was the same before the Champions League final. The emotional connection is a good point, though, Jonathan Johnson. Uh, we're picking also some players that have an emotional connection for us, which is why. I give you mine, uh, which does have, have a little May, bit of... It? What's that? It's kind of Riquelme, isn't it? Are you, what, <laughs> how can it not have Riquelme, James Bench? You're too young to appreciate him. Buffon is an obvious one for all of us, right? Buffon, yeah. absolutely, right? But no no Cannavaro. Were you drinking no, I, when you made I have, this? I, have, I, lo- I loved Alessandro Nesta way more. And that's why I was concurring with you on the emotional connection. To me, Alessandro Nesta was such a beautiful centre-back. But is he... Because, you know, I'm old enough to remember, of course. Uh, Maldini, the best left back that's ever lived. Zanetti, 
Uh, Tardelli, please uh, look him up. His uh, center midfield statistics are... Pirlo needs to be in here. And Juan Román Riquelme, James Bench. I need to have him in here. He is just one of my favorite players ever. Batistuta, the all-time leading scorer for Argentina until Lionel Messi broke that record in 2016. Maradona and Messi, of course. That's my... So I decided to get Italians angry up front and get Argentinians angry at the back. And I think all, all, all us three are going to get... Um, should we like just mute Twitter completely from this moment, James Bench? Because we're about to get a lot of angry people. Oh, I think I'm going to be fine. <laughs> but I played it really safe. You did play it safe. Jonathan Johnson, just get rid of your account, I think, for, for the next week or so. I mean, but anyway, to be honest, I've been debating getting rid of my account for years. It's just <laughs> yeah, gas anyway. Point. That's a good point. <laughs> but anyway, everybody, show us, uh, let us know what your favorite starting all time ever is Argentina, Italy. And anyway, this is the game. It's a. Uh, Italy against Argentina in this game. Any thoughts on it? I mean, it should be fun, James Benj at Wembley. Uh, you know, it should be good to see the champions of Europe against the champions of South America, although it would be fun even more for, for Italians knowing that they are going somewhere in end of November, but that's not happening. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the sort of facetious point here is we do tend to sort of decide which continent has produced the best team of their champions. We just do that at the World Cup. Yeah. Um, and Italy haven't got that far. I mean, it sold out because when this came up and, you know, it's sort of saying Wembley Stadium, I live not too far away at the moment from Wembley and I thought, oh, may as well see if there's any tickets on sale, but completely sold out. Um, a lot of Italians, a lot of Argentinians, Messi fans, I, I get it. A lot is, of, it, a is, lot it not, of is it not just the locals uh, wanting hitting... to heck or Chiellini? Yeah. <laughs> Don't tempt me. That's it. If if I see him again <laughs> after what he did to the Cryo <laughs> Um this to me does feel a little bit like a pointless game, but it's, you know, it's the sort of fun pointless, isn't yeah, it? It's, it it's pointless. You know, the quiz show with uh, Alexander Armstrong and Richard Osmond, good pointless, not, you know. Yeah, it's a good pointless and it's fun. It's going to be a good one. Italy, Argentina, they'll face each other. I mean, by the way, just, you know, Argentina getting ready for the World Cup, of course, they were undefeated in qualifying campaign. Uh, so it would be a good way for European eyes to see a little bit more of what, uh, you know, uh, Leo Scaloni has done with this team because it really has been a tremendous uh, upstick since, obviously, the last World Cup. All right. Well, that's it, everybody. Final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts here as we say goodbye Wednesday. As I mentioned, lots of action. The USMNT, by the way, they play Morocco. That should be a good game. Uh, USMNT against uh, Morocco. James Ben just questioning whether it should be a good game. <laughs> Morocco's a good team. They yeah, didn't lose the game qualifiers. <laughs> You don't have one American in this show, by the way, so we're not going to be going uh, all crazy here. But USMNT Morocco, some other friendlies as well uh, during Wednesday, June 1st. Uh, final thoughts, Jonathan Johnson, as we say goodbye. No, just uh, looking forward to a slightly lighter schedule than uh, usual. I mean, I think this is kind of like a bit of a welcome break before, you know, what we hope will be quite a light summer. No major, uh, you know, transfer news or well, certainly on my end. But uh, it's uh, no, I mean... You know, you kind of you kind of now into like the, the the home straight. So fingers crossed for for some great action to to sign us off for the summer. Yeah, I mean, especially it's a, a home straight. If like me, you get to pretend like you want to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee and get two <laughs> bonus bank holidays for it. Um, <laughs> just one thing to flag up while we've been recording: Ivan Perisic has probably our first bit of big business of the summer transfer window. Yep, um, correct me if yep. I'm wrong. Ivan Perisic has signed for Tottenham on a free transfer. I, I'm really intrigued by this because he, we saw with Inter, he's an excellent left back, um, convinced Antonio Conte of that. But he's 33 now, going on 34. And obviously we always say that Serie A is maybe a better league when your legs are starting to go a little bit and the Premier League is not. So we do have this intriguing just juxtaposition and maybe it will be that he has one great season and that's all Tottenham need him for. Yeah. But I'm intrigued by the how a, a veteran fares in, in the most intense of leagues. Um, it seems like a good deal, though. Um, and, uh, yeah, Tottenham really loading up for the Champions League next season. Yeah, it should be a good one. Amateur. Definitely uh, the second best uh, signing announcement. Diego Carlos, I believe, Jonathan Johnson, uh, was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, we 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 all know that we all know James's take on uh, on Villa's transfer business so far. A bit a bit a bit worrying that uh, that we might be about to lose Beal to to QPR, but all right. also Xabi we'll Alonso in the house. That's fine. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if uh, if if you're relying on your manager's assistant manager 
uh, you know, to, to get good results, then maybe you should have appointed the assistant manager, the manager in the first place. So, okay. I mean, I've seen it happen before with Laurent Blanc uh, and, you know, fingers crossed, uh, you know, Gerard sort of maybe comes into his own a little bit more, uh, given, uh, you know, that there is a lot made about uh, Beale's influence and importance in, uh, in his backroom stuff. Yeah, it should be good to see how he does uh, with QPR. Good luck to them, of course. All right, well, that was James Bench at James Benz on Twitter. Uh, follow all his content on CBS Sports. John underscore the gossip as well. Follow all his content on CBS Sports. And uh, yeah, we just keep on rocking here on Kego Lasso. Like JJ said, it's a little bit lighter, but not really, because we're doing still this every day. So, you know, work never stops here. The game never stops. Kego Lasso never stops. James Bench, Jonathan Johnson. LME, have a fantastic rest of your week. We will see you next time. We're recapping, by the way, uh, Scotland, Ukraine. I won't be here. It's my wife's 40th birthday. Uh, she's just about to kill me because I just said the actual age. But hey, it doesn't matter. But we still got our team here covering it all. So uh, enjoy the rest of your week. All the matches. We will see you next time on Kegolasso. Till then. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.